Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed. Uh, I'm your host, The Real Deal, Quinn. Um, of course, as always, joined by one Robert Sapp. How you doing today? Doing well, doing well. Let's get into it. Season two is here. Yeah, yeah. I know you've been looking forward to season two. I have been. Um, me, me, I, me too. Um, it's... Thought a lot. Was thinking a lot this week about this season and just the uh, transition from season one to season two. Of course, this first episode is called Ebb Tide. Uh, it was directed by Ed Bianchi. Bianchi, who's done episodes, he done he produced not produced directed episodes of Sopranos, uh, uh, Boardwalk Empire. So he's done a lot of those big time HBO shows. Uh, this episode. The epigraph was, ain't never going to be the way it was. Ain't never going to be what it was by little Big Roy, who was one of the, uh, one, of the, one, of the one of the checker men, one of the portsmen, uh, Diva Doors, if you want to call him, who, who said that. Now, it was very curious to find, because I'm always, I'm fascinated now by these rankings of each episode. That's why, that's why I state them every, uh, every week. This was the this was the lowest rated episode in Wire history, ranked sixtieth. As I was watching it, I was like, "I bet this is a low one." Yeah, ranked sixtieth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Well, somebody had adored this episode. Yeah, adored this episode. But I, 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 when as I was watching, I was like, "I bet this is a low ranked one." As a matter of fact, I bet most of the episodes in season two are on the bottom half of the Wire. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Yeah. Um, well, the bottom line is, there had to be one episode. There had to be a last place episode. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Somebody, somebody had to finish last. Absolutely. Uh, now, a lot of depending uh, upon your viewpoint. Yes, a lot of controversy going into this season. You had a you're coming off a season, a classic season, season one. You return. You come into season two. And now, and reason, one of the reasons why people were frustrated, because we we moved off the streets completely, not completely, but as being the main focus of the season. And you had to learn more, like you had to learn more characters. Like one of the, one of the problems that people had with season one at the beginning was the fact that there's um, people were complaining that there are too many characters. Now. You go to season two, it's like, oh shit, I gotta learn uh, about the, the Greeks and these uh, I, these checkers. I, mean, I gotta learn some more new characters on top of the characters that I've already, you know, are just getting to know. So people are so people are frustrated by that from that standpoint as well. I'll say this: there's no way season two. First of all, Simon had it in his whole, and he had mapped out the whole five seasons. Before this evening, before even season, even season, before season two was even made, every every season was mapped out in Simon and Ed Burns and their in their minds in terms of what they wanted to do and what wanted to accomplish. With that being said, there's no way. The reason why season two turned out to be the way of what it was is they had to flush in order to flush out the Barksdale investigation completely. Season two had to go in the direction that it goes into. You don't get three seasons of Barksdale's if you if you jump immediately right into the Barksdale's in season two and where they're the primary focus. 
and you don't maximize that storyline. Season two does not go uh, in its direct in the in the direction of the docs. So I, I'll say that in terms of the transition from season one to season two, in terms of why one of the reasons why they fo- we're focusing on the docs, um, not the main reason, but one of the reasons why. Um, opening scene, you have McNulty. And by the way, ebb tide, the definition of ebb tide, because you're going to have a lot of these, you're going to you have a lot of these um, titles are going to be named after something to do with the water and something to do with the docks and marine. So ebb tide is the first one. Ebb tide is a period or state of decline. So a period of state of decline was one of the definitions of ebb tide. Of, of ebb tide. There are many definitions, but this was the one to me that connected the most with this particular episode. The opening scene, we have McNulty, who has been, of course, demoted to uh, or put on the put on the boat through his own actions. Um, he's in a conversation with his partner about the shipyards, and um, in re- his father used to work at the shipyards. And then, you know, of course, the shipyards are dead. Uh, they closed down. He mentioned that they closed down in 19, somewhere sometime in 1973. His partner mentioned that his uncle, someone used to work at the shipyards that they were closed down, um, that, you know, gave the year that his uncle worked at the shipyard. So they're discussing that. And then they come across this boat uh, filled with, you know, some rich, some lot high-class rich people on the boat, a lot of money on the boat who are, um, who are having some uh, boat trouble. Um, the boat, the, the people pay McNulty off to kind of um, keep the party going because uh, initially they were going to uh, ship them off to, to the, I, I'm assuming that they were going to ship them off to the dock, uh, but you know, like the dude said, there are a lot of high rollers, high, you know, a lot of big money on the boat. Give them, they give McNulty some money, pay McNulty off some money to keep the boat going for in well into the, well into the night. Um, just, I, I just thought it was a brilliant scene. Uh, I'll let you get into it, and I, but I, I thought this was a brilliant scene in terms of setting the tone. Of what's going to take place and the overall tone of uh, season two, with the payoff and with the with the conversation about the shipyards being dead, and with you know, and, and with the fact that they were able to um, to uh, to pull the to pull the boat, and there was no, if you notice, there are no ships moving. The shipyards are there, are no ships, so it's kind of like. If there were if there were ships working, they wouldn't have been, been able to move the boat in the direction that they were moving it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this opening scene? Uh, the so I really liked how you broke down um, the the epigram um, the the title of the episode. So um, so. The initial, so you have the first part of the scene where McNulty and the other guy is um, are talking about their family members who used to work for steel um, and when they got laid off. Um, and then the next shot you have is of the boat and the boat's name is Capital Gains. And then it says Washington DC under there. I, I won't go into like all that is there, but it's a tax on raw materials, a tax on steel that, on one end makes certain people wealthy and on the other end 
takes a lot of money from other people and from the city itself, right? And so like, like the big thing about The Wire season two is this is where it really stamps itself as being a thematic show, right? Like what people were used to, and again, I always go back to, you gotta remember the time period this is in. There's fax machines in this episode. There's pickup phones. There's desk computers. So this is very clearly 2005, 2004, 2005. Like this is this is where this is where we are in the time period. And also in television watching, this nobody has seen anything like this. So season one, although it's become a classic, we didn't know the underlying themes of it outside of what we saw on a day-to-day basis. We didn't know season one was going to be this theme. Season two was going to be this theme. Season three was going to be this theme. Season four, season five. We didn't know that. Season two makes it very clear in that opening scene that this is going to be about a lot more than drugs. And people had a very harsh reaction to that initially because of all the different things that you said. And then on top of that, because this was uncomfortable viewing for people. Nobody knew what to do with The Wire. This was not The Sopranos. This was not Law and Order. This was something very, very different. So that's number one. Number two is um, you like the 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 overarching narrative about The Wire has been season two is about the loss of like about the about the city of Baltimore and how the city was losing its infrastructure, for lack of better words. Losing the things that they made, they put their hands on and that they did, right? Like the loss of that, Um, which is of course 1000% accurate. They've all said that. Um, But then I would then add on on top of this and to pay attention to this throughout this season, this season is also about, this is why I love this season. This season is also about poverty is not just black people. It's not just ghetto. (laughs) <laughs> it's not just together. You got, I got a podcast. I'm come rushing in from outside and all this. Blah, blah. Anyway, so I'm a little bit amped up. Poverty's not just together. Poverty hits everybody. And when poverty does hit people who look white, who are white, they react in a very similar way in order to get money, right? And so what season one and season two do is combine the two entities together. Baltimore is a poor city. It affects poor citizens. It, it makes its citizens poor. And when citizens are poor, they make very, very bad choices in terms of, you know, it, very bad choices for the establishment. They make the most immediate choices for food, jobs, you know, feeding family, taking care of family, all of that. And it looks, it can look differently depending upon where you're at in the city, but it all stems from the same place. It stems from people coming in and taking people from the outside, coming in and taking out. And that's very much what that boat represents. It represents a certain segment of the population getting rich and taking out. And that's where you get the juxtaposition of those two comments where McNulty and his boss are talking about what they've lost and uh, party people on the boat saying, keep this party going. We still got money to, to snatch out of here. And literally, you know, the guy says, um, uh, or McNulty says to him, oh no, the guy no, yeah, McNulty says to him, you're like right in the middle of the harbor. He's like, well, can't you just tow us like out of the way? 
to like get to like get out of there and like literally like li not literally uh thematically figuratively what that is representing is these fat cats from dc very much it says capital gains and then washington dc on the boat right under it. these fat cats from dc coming in invading their waters and taking what they want how yeah. they want it at what point in time they want they want to take it from and not even Baltimore City Police, blah, 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 everything like that, can do anything but just kind of like move over to the side and let them do their thing, smoke their cigars while they keep partying on. Um, yeah, yeah, very good opening scene. Yeah, this is, this is very much a thematic season. This is very much a thematic season. This is when The Wire became a book, for real. No question about it. Um, agree, with everything, agree with everything you just said. Also will add that McNulty looked depressed on that boat. <laughs> Nolte, he was cold and depressed on that boat. <laughs> and we didn't know I should sorry for it, but he he def, that definitely jumped out as well. His body language on that boat um before they um you know before he got his little before he got paid off. Um so we move on to Valchek and Prez, Valchek, of course, is the major of the Southeastern District. We know Prez is his son-in-law. Prez is discussing all what transpired with the Barksdale investigation, the good police work that was done. Um, he's talking to Valchek, and he might as well be talking to himself. Valchek is completely dismissing him whatsoever. Valchek is looking at his, you know, stained glass. He's totally zoned. He's not even paying attention to what, what he, I mean, he's, he's somewhat paying attention, but he's really not paying attention to what Prez um, is saying to him. Um, then Valchek goes and basically, I, like I sent you, maps out Prez's career. You're going to take the sergeant exam, become a sergeant, then you're going to take the lieutenant's exam, and become a lieutenant. Um, I want to mention one important thing, and uh, go ahead, and then I'll mention one important thing about this scene. Oh, just, just the reaction to the scene? Um, yeah, I mean, like, like Valchek is it. So on the surface, the scene is what it is, right? Like, it, uh, 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 Presbyluski is talking to Valchek about um, about uh, the Barksdale case and how interested it is and everything that we talked about last season in terms of like the high end police work and like how valuable that is and like what what that what what that looks for for the department. So and, and so so. It's it's very much and Valchek is is distracted by the stained window and we know how much that's going to play such a big part of it. So, also what I wanted to say, just I'll fold like back from what I was talking about into this. What I also wanted to say is the reason why this episode is the last like episode like sixty is um, they have to reset the table, like yeah. they have to completely reset the table. Not only it's not they. It's it was an entire line shift like for hockey, right? Like like literally everybody who was on the front rotation um went to the back outside of like McNulty. No, literally, literally everybody. I mean, like certain people will be brought in over over time over the season, but especially for this episode, literally everybody you cared about was gone. Even right. the people on the police were in different separate places. Yes. Right? So they had to literally reset the entire table. Um, from from one, and so what's going on in the scene outside of um, just them having a conversation about uh, 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 President Lucy's career 
is they're starting to lay out the rules for this new season, right? President Lewski is very much new guard. Valchek is very much old guard in terms of policing. And, um, and the show last season made a statement about what it thought about what police work should look like. But in making that statement, all of the characters were crushed. So what's, why, why would anybody want to do the type of work that they were doing before? And so they're very subtly having a back and forth debate. Um, President Lewski is saying, I just want I mean, he very much says, um, I don't want to make rank. And Valchek does not care about that, of course, because he's old guard and it's all about making rank. Of course, you want to continue your position. You want to move up the ladder, right? Also, there's themes of the American dream, right? Come here, you work hard, you blah, 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 everything like that. Um, there's so much going on in this. But the, the two things I, that really struck me were uh, uh, how this simple conversation has another layer on it that is essentially giving you, starting to set you up about, starting to set up the rules for this new season, especially in terms of what does good police work look like? That bam, you hit it, you hit it. Last year, or is it, I mean, last season, or is it Balchek's way? So, you in the basement. <laughs> that leads, no, that leads me right, to, that leads me right into my basement, yeah, on the boat. That leads me right into my point. The reason why this, the reason why this scene is so important is because it's letting you know that in the Southeastern District that Valchek leads, they're not doing shit in terms of real police work. It's all about, it's all about politics, it's all about rank, it's all about, you know, making moves from that standpoint. They're not doing, they're not doing real police work. And it goes back to what Daniel said to Carver, as a leader of men, if you show them shit, you're gonna get shit. If you show them how to do the job the right way too, then that's what you'll get. So Valchek is a straight, just Valchek is, is, Valchek is a politician. Valchek is about making rank. Valchek is about um, using, you know, his privilege and using context to climb the ladder. Not about doing real police work, which allow, which is why the, the, the Portsmouth, the checkers are, are doing, are, are doing what they're doing, which we'll talk about later in the episode, or basically freely doing what they're doing. Um, so that to me, that was the thing that I took out of that scene in terms of the lack of how weak the Southeastern District was from that standpoint. And it starts at the top with Valchek, because you have, you have, you have Prez saying, look, this is, I want, like you said to your point, I want to do some real, I did real police work, I, I'm all in now in terms of doing real police work. I don't want to take, I don't want any shortcuts. Prez, Prez is very excited. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so that to me, that's what I took out of that scene, that the Southeastern District was not doing, they're not doing real police work down there. And that will be a theme, a recurring theme amongst uh, within this, um, in this season. Um, Bodie and Shamrock. So Shamrock is a new uh, Barksdale soldier that we get introduced to. They're driving to Philadelphia. Um, they're driving to Philadelphia at the, uh, of course, at the behest of, of one Stringer, of one Stringer Bell, who's who's in charge right now. Bodie is playing with the radio and is confused by why the radio is starting to, to drown out or cut off, not cut off. And, you know, 
Sand Rock is basically like, you know, are you serious? But, you know, we're leaving Baltimore and, you know, we're close to Philadelphia. You get a Philadelphia station. And then we find out, of course, that Bodie has never uh, left Baltimore. Um, callback, not a callback, but, uh, yeah, it could be, you could go to a call. You can do a callback to this. And, and Wallace not, you know, out of his element, you know, being going down to the country saying, this is me right here, yo. So that, that's kind of similar. Bodie being trapped in his environment, not knowing anything outside of Baltimore, and not even knowing that once you leave the city limits, that the that the radio sta- a radio station has to change. That it's not like because Bodie, you don't have some, don't, no satellite radio. I didn't see a serious it was no serious XM. That was a five. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this regular radio. So, what were your thoughts on this uh, on that scene? This is set up for the Roberto reveal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, there'll be more more to come with this uh, with this particular scene. Um, Bonk and McNulty, um, Bonk goes to visit McNulty on the boat, and McNulty, Bonk is asking about Omar. Of course, he needs Omar for the William Gant case, uh, which we'll see uh, for the William Gant trial, which we of course we will see later on in this season. Um, and McNulty kind of you know. Kind of brushes them off. Uh, really doesn't uh, doesn't you know go into it, or go into discussing it too much. Um, I don't know. I I think it was just McNulty just being an asshole. Uh, what were your thoughts? Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So you have so he so bunk so McNulty leaves the boat to go uh, to go with you know, to go with bunk um, to get a taste. Um, yeah, Sabaka, Frank, we get introduced to Frank Sabaka and uh, one of the other uh, diva doors uh, named Nat. Uh, Sabaka, of course, is the leader. Um, he's the leader of the, the president of their, um, of their chapter, of their union chapter, the leader of the union chapter. They're having a conversation or a disagreement about the grain pier versus the canal project. Nat, now, Nat, wants to push the grain pier. Um, but but Sabaka wants to push the canal project because the canal project is a bigger and loftier um loftier project than um than what the canal than than the uh the grain pier is but but the grain pier is more realistic in Nat's eyes. So they kind of go back and forth with that and you know Nat cuts you know Basically gives him has you know gives him a tongue lashing. Uh, Frank's um, you know his some of his people's uh, horse face and another guy kind of uh, make fun of kind of knock Sabaka for allowing him to um, talk to him like that talk to him like that. But Frank is you know again Frank is about the business. Um, what are your thoughts on this scene? Quick scene, but what were your thoughts? The, I mean, like again, like a lot of it is setting up the setting the table and so at this point in time episode one we don't know what the great we, we just don't know what the grain appears so it's 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 introducing the language that we're going to get used to hearing yes. uh, yeah over over the season so that's what that was so it's a lot set up which they had yeah. to do yeah nick uh nick sabaka frank um having a conversation um now Nick Sabaka is uh Frank Nick Nick is Frank's uh nephew um Nick talks about 
fact that he hasn't worked in two weeks, uh, hasn't worked a ship in two weeks, which is, you know, we'll see that we'll see that being a recurrent theme in terms of that these guys are not getting a lot of hours, a lot of days, or working a lot of ships. Uh, Sabaka and uh, Nick Frank gives him an assignment to go see, tells him he needs to go see the Greek. Um, and that's the first that we hear about the, uh, about the Greek. Yeah, more set up. More set up, yes, definitely more set up. We will, we will come to know the Greek more, you know, over the course of this episode. Um, Ziggy, Rob's guy. Love me some Ziggy. <laughs> Ziggy and Frank. So Ziggy, we immediately find, we immediately find out about this character, Ziggy, and what, what type of character he is. He, he loses a can. Um, the, some of the other shipmen basically say, you know, Frank, uh, we got a problem with Ziggy. Frank, they, they drive Frank over to see um, to where Ziggy's at. Ziggy is still looking for the can. Frank says to Ziggy, you know, get your shit, basically you're fired. And then the other guy, one of the other guys says, you know, Ziggy basically says, you know, Ziggy, this, look at this guy. He doesn't give a shit about losing his job. But then Nat says, he, you know, tells him, well, he's not because he's not fired. He's, he's, you know, he's Frank's son. And then they um, drive away. Yeah, this, that, that's the setup that Ziggy's uh, Sabaka's son. Yeah. And the fact that, <laughs> you know, with Ziggy, you already know with this guy that this guy is going to be some... Uh, I mean, like, remember, again, episode one. That's why I said it's setting up that it's his son. He's, and he's a goof. I mean, like, yes. Yeah, he's a goof. He's a fuck up. He's, I mean, yeah, he's a fuck up. That's, I mean, I, mean I, th I think even if you didn't see it, even if you first watched this episode first for the first time, you, you can look at, you know, him losing. I mean, yeah, by the end of the episode, absolutely. By the end of the episode. At this point in time. Not sure. You weren't sure about this point. I mean, no, of course not. He, we just got, we just saw him. But you definitely know, like, like uh, he's Sabaka's kid, um, and that you know, no matter what, it all plays a part, right? Like he's Sabaka's kid, and we see the way that he behaves, and so you can start to put some early two to do together. So you have Daniels and Bunk. Now Daniels has been. Um, sent down to uh, evidence control. Um, evidence control, he's going to look for some evidence. Bunk needs some evidence for the Gantt case. Um, in classic uh, Daniel's fashion, Daniel's basically lets the, the, his other, the other guy know who's working with him. We'll be here all night looking for evidence, if, looking for the evidence if we have to. Um, the thing about this scene that jumped out, there is nothing worse. Unemployment, un I've been unemployed before. Unemployment is not, it's not good not having a job, as we all know. But I can make a case that being underemployed from a psychological standpoint is just, is just as bad. When you, when you are working a job that is beneath you in terms of your in terms of qualifications, in terms of your education, that's, that can be the mean, that could, that, that could be rough. And coming from personal experience is definitely, it, it can take, it definitely could take some out of you. So imagine you're Daniels, you are on your way to becoming a major, 
you have a law degree and you find yourself in your version of the pawn shop and evidence control and the evidence rule, a job that, by the way, that probably either somebody retiring should be doing on their, on their way out or somebody in the beginning of their career should be doing. So he's, he clearly, and again, we talked about the definition of ebb tide, uh, a period, a, uh, a period or state of decline. Definitely some of these, a lot of these characters um, from previous season were in decline with, the current, with their current position. We could talk McNulty, we could talk Daniels, we could talk even Kima from a mental standpoint. But uh, this, was, uh, this was rough for Daniels to be at this point in, at this position, uh, considering where he could have been uh, from last season. What were your thoughts? It's easy to do the right thing when there aren't any consequences associated with it. It's, it speaks to the volume of a person that they can do the right thing or do what they believe in. Um, more importantly, and they're and they know that there's significant consequences that go that go with it. Um, we talked last episode, last week was it, the, or the week before that? Um, it might might be both, but of 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 Daniel Cement and his character, right? Like as like I am now, no matter what's happened in the past, moving forward, I am going to hold to my principles. He made that declaration, and this shows the consequences of it. There's very real consequences. Just because you do the right thing does not mean good things will happen to you. As a matter of fact, most of the time, good things don't happen to you um, in the real world. Um, and so uh, the wire very much tries to reflect the reality of situations. And so um, there's, there's a lot to, to unpack about like, like so, so when I was watching the Presbyluski and Valchek scene, um, one thing that occurred to me the first time was Presbyluski is Ed Burns. Now, of course, I've known that Ed Burns was the police officer and mm-hmm. the teacher. And of course, so of course, I know that's the experience. But when I was looking at it this time, I was like, oh, that's, that's him. That's him in the role. Like he's writing what he would say, what he would do. And so I say that to say, this, is, this series is very much built off of two men's experiences in Baltimore and their knowledge of people's experiences. David Simon being a reporter and talking to a lot of people, um, both police, uh, drug dealers, drug addicts, people in there also being a reporter, da, 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 you know, like, like lots of different things involved. And Ed Burns being a policeman and a, uh, and a, um, and a teacher. And so as I was looking at now this, this um, Daniel scene and thinking about like what, like what, what happens, it's like, it's, I don't know if it's necessarily wrong to play the game and to be a part of the system. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if that's what they're saying is wrong about what is going on. I don't think they are saying one is good and one is bad because when Presbyluski was talking, he never used those words. And Ed Burns would have put those words in his mouth if he had thought, if, if, that's what he had, if that's what he had been saying. So I think the, I revert back to principle. Principle. If what you believe is that, like, looking at a problem 
and solving it in a measured and uh, a thoughtful way gets you the result you want, then perfect, but that will lead to consequences in a system that is political. It's not just the Baltimore Police Department. It's again, that's why that scene started with capital gains, Washington, D.C. I'm going to get used to it, people. I'm going to come back to that over and over again throughout this season. This is, that's why I said, this is, this is very much thematic now. This is very much an open world now. And so I say that, I know we're on the Daniel scene, and so I say that to say um, what Daniels represents is principle. It represents principle in all of its form. And so what we are seeing is the consequence of principle or a principle with a consequence, right? Like he knew, free. I mean, like all of everybody, everybody knew the game and everything that's going to be played all last season. Nobody did any of this eyes closed. Um, and even if for some reason we all missed that, he didn't, Lester Freeman made it very, very clear what the consequences was. What was it, 11 years, four months, or 13 years? 13, four no, 13 years, four months. 13 years, four months. Yeah, I can, yeah. 13 years, four months. Every single day for doing what he believed was right, which was going opposite against his commander. There's nothing wrong with hierarchy. There's just nothing wrong with it. A boss is a boss for a reason. Now, that doesn't mean you just have to do what they're, that, what they're told. And so when I was looking at, when I'm looking at that scene, I was looking at that, Looking at Daniels, um, Daniels knew when he last last season he made that statement. And he knew he wasn't going to be promoted to a major. We already knew that, and we and and he knew the repercussions of what he was doing. Both him and McNulty, they knew they knew their their the repercussions. So again, can you stand up on principle even when you know there's a consequence? If you can't, then it's not a principle. Then it's not, then you don't believe you don't fully believe in it. You're just playing a you're just you're you're playing the equal the, the equal game of the political game that Valchek is playing. If you're just doing good just to get points out of it. Um just to get do good points or, or feel good points or whatever. So, anyways, that that's a like I said, the, the wire very much thematic. So there's very we're gonna go a lot of different places in scenes because um they're doing a lot of different. They're doing a lot of different things. But but what I saw right there was Daniels. This is the consequence of him stating and leaning in on his principles. No question about it. Um, we go to Bodie and Bodie and Shamrock. They're being followed by uh, what we come to find out would be two new Barksdale soldiers, tank and country, who have eyes on them. They follow them into this uh, chop shop. They, uh, Bodie picks up the car, drives it to the chop shop, and they um, go through the chop. The two mechanics completely just tear up the top of the car, and uh, they're not able to um, find what assume we assume to be, or what it was, turns out to be, assumed to be missing uh, drugs. Um, missing drugs, they're watching you see Tank and Country, the two, you see Country, the new Barksdale soldier, watching Bodie basically throw a tantrum. Um, 
and Shamrock throw a tantrum uh, to the, against the two mechanics who um, and again they they stripped this car bare. Uh, this is this is a uh, a chop shot, and this car this car has been stripped absolutely bare. So whatever was supposed to be in there was not in there, and of course they fear retribution from one uh, Stringer Bell. What were your thoughts? Shout out for Roberto. We can't talk about those things without Roberto without the Roberto reveal. I mean, it's set up for Roberto. So you have uh, Frank Sabaka going to Father Jerome. Uh, he donates a stained glass window, which gets put gets put in the front of the church. And he also asks to see uh, Senator in regards to um, in regards to getting back to the to the uh, canal in in that situation. Um, so Frank, you see in this scene that Frank has some uh, political chops and has some, you know, is making moves from that standpoint, um, uh, from that standpoint with the uh, stained glass window donation. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on that? Now, this is, this is, this is a lot. This is, this is heavy and this is the whole season, essentially. I mean, this is, this is the whole season. Um, and so what Sabaka, this is again, principle, right? Like that's, that's why I went so hard in on the Daniel scene um, because Sabaka is the end, what he sees, I'm trying to stay within the frame of where we're at right now. <laughs> I'm about to go, it was about to go off a little bit. Um, so this scene right here um, is uh, Sabaka, for what we know, Union not doing well. We, with that, that, that's fairly clear. Right. Sabaka's trying to play a game. He's trying to do something for support. Again, going back to that opening shot, that lets us know we're about to start getting more into other things than just day-to-day drug dealings. Um, and, so, uh, and so this is what he believes will give him a shot at, at um, doing what he, needs to, what he needs to get done. Um, but right here, we have all the principal elements of the entire season. We have the stained glass window, we have the money, and we have Frank trying to use that, use his influence with a man of faith to get a political connection so that he can do X, Y, and Z. Um, he will use a, he will use a much, much later on um, uh, uh, in years, uh, there will be a man named Walter White who will play this out in an entire five-season um, series, but he will use an end goal, one who might say a, um, uh, a good end goal to do some very, 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 very bad things. And this is the very, very beginning of it. All the principal elements of this entire scene, this entire season are in this scene right here. No question about it. So definitely a lot in this scene from with the politics and then with the fact that um you know Sabaka is not this is not a typical, you know, not the typical union man. And you know, it gives it gives you ins- insight to how far he's I have to pause you on that because then that goes against what we're talking about in terms of that. Sabaka's very average. He is very average. He's desperate because he's like, he sees his union about to die. Like we're going to go on. He sees his union about to die. um, And there's nothing, there's no hope on the future. 
And so that's why I'm saying this is very much a season about what other people do when they're desperate. The argument season one, what happens in the, the ghetto is for generations, black people have turned for other ways of earning money because they're not going to be let in that, that political door. They're not going to be let in that um, Fortune 500 country, for Fortune 500 uh, 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 door, which Stria Bell represents in, in a way, right? Like, like, so they're going to turn to crime, quote unquote, um, in order to achieve the American dream, achieve what they, what they can. Frank Sabaka cannot go, Frank Sabaka cannot go to a senator. He can't just go up and say, da, 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 like, uh, like I need to buy, a, I need to do X, Y, and Z. He's very much an average man. He's using the only connection he has, which is the priest. To yeah. get to the senator, um, that's which I mean, it's all the the argument will be played out over the season. What are the right moves? What are the wrong moves? But I did want like, uh, uh-uh, he's not extraordinary. He's not anything. He's president of a local in Baltimore that is dying. Yeah, so no, it's you definitely trying to save it. There's nothing special about Sabaka. That's very important. Do not make him special. There's no. nothing special about him. Um, uh, okay, sorry. So you have uh, Kima Herc. Uh, Kima is in 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 house. She's uh, you know she's typing. She's in office. Herc immediately picks up on the fact that you know she doesn't seem uh, happy with what she's doing. He um, before he even gets into that, he discusses how much respect he had for for um, to uh, for investigating the Marksdale organization in comparisons to dealing with some of the uh, white drug dealers that he um, is dealing with now, even jokes about about needing uh, there should be affirmative action for for white drug dealers because it's not fair for them. And then he says, "Leave no white man behind." Um, and then he calls Kima pussy whip for being having a desk job. Um, now you've been very consistent with saying that there is always, when The Wire does comedy, there's always something serious in terms of underlining some subtext, some serious subtext when they do a comedy, comedy bit. Uh, What were your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, like, this is, again, this is, this is, this is one of those scenes where it can't be what it is because it's set it's set there's there's no deeper meaning behind this there, i mean like Kima's not happy she's in she's in the space she doesn't want to be in yeah she she's not happy she's in a space that she didn't want to be in um she gives some very sounded by i mean like there is a overarching narrative on herc but if i were to use it now it would be too soon. It, it they're layering different things about Herc, um, but if I'm being honest, I didn't see it at this point in time. I would I would have been able to see it at this point in time, um, and so it would be too soon for me to to start bringing bringing that stuff in. This is more like like the principal characters of the police department from la- I mean the the investigative team from last year setting up where they are at at the beginning of this season. McNulty's on the boat, Daniels is in the basement, um, Bunk is still Bunk, and Kima's uh, inside, inside. So it's, 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 set, it's very much setting the table. 
Uh, you have Bonk and McNulty at the bar. Again, Bonk keeps um, bugging McNulty about Omar. And again, Omar, I mean, I McNulty, mean, again, is just basically brushing him off, not even discuss, not barely even talking about Omar. Um, anything you want to ask this scene seems like it was cut and dry. Cut and dry. Agreed. Bodie Shamrock Stringer. So, Bodie and Shamrock brought back the two mechanics. Um, Stringer, Shamrock was on the phone with Stringer. Um, now they didn't show that, but he they showed that they was showed the conversation with him and him and Bodie. So they're in the car on the way back to Baltimore, and Bodie is kind of like the kid who's about to get in trouble. He was afraid of what his parents are going to say. Um, he kept, kept a little bit more significant than that. Kept, Okay. Asking, uh, <laughs> that's that's his that's his murdering boss, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely. Oh, yeah. He definitely had reason to be even more nervous than uh, than a kid getting. I mean, but no, you're you're you know, in a kid, of course, your parents aren't going to kill you, but in your kid mind, you're like, oh God, they're going to kill something. They're going to yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he says, you know, what do you, you know, what do you say, how you say it? And then, you know, Shamrock basically has nothing. He's like, just told them, told him, just come home, bring everybody. And I mean, when he brought everybody, brought him, Bodie, and like I said, the two mechanics um, back to Baltimore. Um, so they come in. Um, Stringer texts with his guys to see if everything's on point about the about the mileage and everything, and about talks to you know talks to everybody to kind of get confirmation so that he's so Bodie was clean on that. Um, he kind of grilled Shamrock about going about going over, you know, what basically going over the situation uh, you know multiple times. And then he gets to Bodie, kind of teases Bodie about the mileage being off by a quarter of a mile or three fourths of a mile. I thought he was just fucking with that standard for. And then um, he lets Bodie know that they basically let him basically lets him know that um, we have people's people's watching you, and and then we of course we you know we we would come to find again we'll get to the the Avon Stringer scene, but Bodie asks where is that, and which lets us know that there was some drugs that were supposed to be there and they ended up not being there. Stringer in full boss mode got got the. Sweater got the got the cup of tea, you know. Stringer is feeling himself in this scene. He's feeling him. He's feeling that boss, that boss vibe. He's got that whole boss swagger in full in in full effect in this scene. You can just you can tell he, he loves being in charge, just by his um, just by how he carried himself in this particular scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I I think like the so. Just, just, just a, just a minor note. So the three tenths of a mile, and the kicking the tire, those go together because remember there was a detour that they had to take. So he was off by three tenths right. of a yes. mile. Yeah, he was he messing with it. No, he was. Oh, you're right. You're right. Like, yeah. and so I think th this tells us a couple different things about the leader that Stringer's going to be. Um, very detour, detailed oriented. Very like big brother watching over everybody. Out at all at all times um and, and very calculating i mean i think we, we we this is setting that up this is setting that up that that stringer is not going to be 
the boss that Bar that Avon was. Um, they have very different styles, and this is starting to 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 show out his style. The other scenes were were pure pure setup, but I think I, I agree with you one hundred percent. This is also showing the type of drug deal gang whatever whatever you want to say stringer stringer is in terms of the illegal part of it this is this is showing what his style looks like versus what avon's style looked like yeah yeah so we get to ziggy nick and the portman at the bar they're at the bar getting fucked up um this is where you find out Who's Ziggy? This is this yeah. is it. That's yeah. why. At first so, scene, this one, yes. This one, yes. So you have um you have you have the separation of the old heads with the young and versus the younger crew. The old heads are telling these stories, telling their war stories, and they're being taunted by the Ziggies of the world, Johnny 50s. Johnny 50 is a dude with the beard, um, and Nick Sabaka. Ixabaka. Those are the young cats. So they're going back and forth for a couple for a couple minutes. And then Ziggy jumps in. And immediately they know that Ziggy is about to pull out his dick. Like you heard the bartender said, Don't don't you pull out your dick in here. And then you heard you heard a couple of the, the old heads basically say, Oh, he's watching me. He's gonna pull out his dick. So this is something that has happened before. <laughs> Clearly, it's something it's not the first time he's done this. Um he goes into his spiel, uh, and then he pulls out his dick, and then they go, you know, continue to dance the night away and party the night away and drink the night away. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, like this sets up Ziggy as being a clown. The word I want I want you to think about with Ziggy. The reason why I like like the Ziggy character so much is it's it's such wanting self-destructive behavior, right? So that's the word that I want you to attach with with Ziggy for the entire season is self-destructive, right? And it's like, they they can only go so far, like the reason why I was thinking about this, I'm not amused by Bubbles stuff at all. It's very sad. And it's meant to be very sad because Andre Royal plays it like that. He wants to give you the human element of self-destructive behavior. Same thing with McNulty. McNulty's a main character, so they can only go so far with it until the end. Um, and so, but with Ziggy character, they can really play with the notion of what does self-destructive look like. Um, the two things to remember about Ziggy is uh, their son, I mean father's son, uh, Sabaka's son. Um, and so what does that mean? Right, like, and, and the lack of consequences that that go, that's what that other scene was kind of like introducing us to. Um, just like you said, he's done this multiple times. Where are the consequences for it? Everybody keeps going, oh, that's Ziggy. Oh, that's Ziggy. So what does self-destructive behavior? What self, Ziggy equals self-destructive. That's, that's the only thing to think about. And they could really, really, the reason why I like it is because they could really, really run with it, with Ziggy. Whereas with Bubs, Andre Royal makes it impossible to run with it in that way because he shows such a human side. And with Nolte, they can't run with it because he's the main character of the show. So he's one of the main characters of the ensemble show. So he needs to be around for a lot of years. So you have um, McNulty uh, fishing out a dead body. Um, now, you know, seeming like now uh, McNulty 
was able to determine, you know, was the, and then you had his partner asking questions of um, in terms of um, not asking questions, but talking about, you know, assuming that she was a, a, a jumper. Um, but again, I think this was a this was a setup for uh, for the further for further down the road, not in this episode. So, anything you want to add to that? Nope, found the body. We'll 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 oh, yeah. we'll see how deep that is at by the very end. Um, Nick Sabaka living at home. So, Sabaka Nick Sabaka is lives not only with his parents. He's in his parents' basement. He. Uh, his mom wakes him up by kicking the floor, stopping the floor. Um, he's hungover. Uh, she chides him for being late for a ship. He lets her know that, you know, the ship, I'm not late for it. I got, you know, I got until, I think he said he got until 12 o'clock or something. It's not going out to 12 o'clock. Um, his mom, uh, you know, wants him to get uh, Ziggy out of there because Ziggy's drunk and on the couch as well. But um, it, I mean, I, I, I guess you know, going back to our point of, you know, when we you were talking about season one versus season two, this scene shows you, you know, Nick has, you know, he has no money. <laughs> he has no money. He's you talking about a grown man living at home, um, a working man living at home with his parents in his parents' basement. So you know that to your point about desperate people doing desperate things that will have you doing desperate things if you're living at home in your parents' basement. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, this is one of those scenes, it very much is played for comedy. And this is one of those scenes that is very dead, dead serious. Um, or there's a lot under it. Just like like you said, like, I mean, like it's, it's to, you open up when you were talking about with Daniels, right? Like Daniels being stuck in the basement, below and everything like that and what that actually does to you psychologically you read Daniels would rather what'd you say you'd rather not have a job almost than to be below your station mm-hmm. he has a job he does have a job he has a job that has been in his families for generations also the generational aspect think about the Barksdales come on let's start making some connections here people D'Angelo blah, blah, blah. anyways um so uh so for, this is this has been something that's been proud for his family for generations. This is not just a like a oh you know you are I don't even know what would be a less proud. Job. This is something of pride. That's what that whole scene in the bar was about. Was like this is this is about pride. Like people like like this is a family institution. This thing that they do, and wow. um and there's nothing for him. Not only does he not have money, he has no hope of getting money. So that's the very definition of desperate because this thing that's been in his family for years, this thing that they all know well and do well is now dying and eradicating and going away forever. What do you do? How do you pivot when you've done this for generations? So. Yeah. And this is all, you know, and this is all you know how to do. Yes, that generations, generations. Like, this is not just, it's not just all I know how to do Robert Sapp. It's all I've been, it's all my family's been taught to do. Right, yeah, yeah. It's what we do. It's what we know. Make the connection back to uh, the Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a big book. That's why season two is so good, people. (laughs) 
So yeah, we meet. No, we did no, not so much. We meet. We saw. We seen him already. You have Father Jerome and Valchek. Valchek finds out that he got basically gets outbitted uh, for the by Sabaka for the window. Um, Pause right there. Pause right there. Outbitted. He brings it up. I, I, I just have to say. I just have to say for a second. The preacher says, Valchek, we can never see you on Sunday, but you come in on a random Tuesday. Ain't no outbid. Valchek just showed up and said, I want that window. Right, yes. So he should, yes. He wants Look at what I got for you. Like, what? He wants his window. So Valchek comes in, wants his window placed in the front. Uh, of course, we already know that Sabaka's window is already there. And then um, you have Valchek. Already, his wheels are spinning because he's wondering how much he, he's wondering about. He's wondering that how could Sabaka come up with this amount of money um, when he's to to, his, to what he said. There's not even a hundred check. There's barely a hundred checkers left in the union. So this is about. So Valchek already has a, a you know. I mean, they. I mean, they. They don't go into it immediately in this episode, but. That, you know, they, these are not friends, to be honest, to, <laughs> to say the least here. But again, it's about Valchek. It's about pride. Thinking back to what you're talking about, pride. Valchek's pride is hurt when he realizes that Frank Sabaka has his window in front instead of his, instead of Valchek's. Valchek has to end up has to put his window upstairs uh, where it can't be seen by as many people, of course. Uh, when you want your window in the front, because you know all the all the uh, worshippers are going to be, you know, in the main. That's the main part of the church. Um, so, Valchek's wheels are spinning in regards to how Frank Sabaka could afford that window and um, and what have you. What were you? What are you going to add on to your uh, original thoughts? I mean, like, I, I, I definitely have a lot to say. The, the uh, Valchek character is one of the most underrated characters on this show. Oh, he's a great, great character. Great. He's a part in the entire series. Like, this, this is not just one, one and done. Like, he plays a significant part in the entire series. So, um, I say that to say, uh, uh, I love your point about, about this being, like, the motive is not, this one's not complicated. Valchek's a horrible person. Yes, he's a great person. And you're absolutely right. It's it's about pride. So I love that that like that simple, simple, simple motive is going to bring out so much <laughs> that's going to happen this season. But that that's a great reminder. Uh, what you said was like this is just somebody whose pride is hurt. Now watch what happens because this one person's pride is hurt. So that's on a very micro level. On a very uh, 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 macro level, um. The more power you have and the more influence you have, those little tiny things that like for an average person like me, my pride is hurt. What do I do? I just go home and eat food. You know, like <laughs> Valchek can get a lot of stuff. I won't go into it right now because we're not there yet. We'll save it for then right there. But you can draw, you know, I don't, I don't really bring a whole bunch of real world stuff into it. But think about who's in the Oval Office right now. When whatever crazy thing happens with that one, then so much else happens after that. So it's it's like this very simple little thing. He's he's his he's his vanity has been has been uh, challenged in all that he can bring because because of us. So that's that's one that's one part of it. And then um, the second part of it is just like the no. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it. There. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I mean, you, 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 yeah, we're, yeah. you describe. Plenty of episodes left. Plenty of episodes left. Yeah, it's a lot of episodes. Yeah. Plenty, yeah. Of, plenty of episodes we're left. We're excited to talk about season two, so. Um, yeah. Plenty of episodes. McNulty and Cole. So McNulty goes back to the uh, Western District, and they're discussing the body that came up. And McNulty, um, McNulty basically calls out Cole for missing a number of just key, some key evidence that will lead to some further happenings later in this episode. Cole misses, and Cole misses a number of things. McNulty brings up the broken legs and the fingers and a couple of key details that, that Cole misses. And it, it gave you insight on why Cole is, you know, not, is just not a good cop uh, or, or average meal cop. So that, that's what you, that's what I kind of took out of that. Uh, and of course, you know, McNulty is, is, you know, fucking with, you know, his old command. And we'll see how he continues to do that over the course of the, this, of the, of the, of the, over the course of this episode as well. Uh, what were your thoughts? Lots of thoughts. Lots and lots of thoughts on this one. And I'm going to combine it with what I was thinking about. Until when you brought McNulty up now, I was like, oh, yeah, I do remember what I was going to say with Valchek. And it combines with McNulty. Um, the Wire is very much a show about systems, not necessarily individual people. Think about how all of these cases, what, what I would challenge people to do is think about how all these cases are happening, right? This is not neither, in both, in both circumstances, season one and season two, this is not a noble exercise. This is not, we see something wrong, something unjust, and we're going to do something to fix it. McNulty gets involved for the exact same reason uh, Valchek is upset. Something he's personally offended by. This has nothing to do with the criminal, with with the actual things that are going on. That's what pissed me off last season, or that's what, I wasn't pissed off by it, of course, it's great. Um, that's what got, got me uh, elevated last season, that's what will get me elevated this season. That's, that's, that's what they're trying to say. This is not by default, this is not them forgetting this and only giving their characters weak motives, that's the point of this. The point is that the sis, this, these, these, these huge systems are corrupt. And individual people play their part in it. Um, and some will do good, and some will be Valchek and, um, and McNulty and just be petty as all hell. Uh, and so that's what McNulty's right now. McNulty's, in, McNulty's getting his mind going because he's going to go into full petty mode very, very shortly. Now, that doesn't mean good things can't come out of people being very, very narcissistic and very vain and very individualistic and very self-serving yes good things can happen but let's not paint it as a good thing let's not i mean let's not paint it as this person is um this person is doing it for the right reasons right right so you got very juxtaposed yeah yeah let me stop right there yeah because at this point he's not no 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 at no point is he um zero point is he ever you have Avon and Stringer meeting in uh, jail. Um, they discuss Roberto and the missing drugs. Being good at your job does not mean you're a good person. No, <laughs> it does not. That's, that's why I keep saying about McNulty. 
No, it, it does not. Um, so Avon finds out through Stringer that it's not on them as far as the drugs. Um, they sent the payment to Roberto and for whatever reason, Roberto has cho chosen not to give them the drugs. We'll find out about that later. Um, uh, basically, you have, um, he tells Roberto, not Roberto, he tells Stringer that he needs to go see Roberto, says, tells him to be firm, um, saying because they, they have our money. And keep in mind that right now, they are, you know, running the uh, pit, not the pit, but they run, they're, they're holding on to the towers by the, you know, skin of their teeth. You know, we talked about in getting back to that quote, not the quote, getting back to that definition of ebb, ebb tide, a period or state of decline. Right now, the Barksdale organization is at a state of decline right now. And um, again, Roberto did not give them their drugs and he has their money. So we will see, uh, we'll talk about, we'll talk about in more in detail uh, why that was. Uh, what were your thoughts on the conversation with Avon? Really quickly, I would argue there is no Barksdale organization at this point. When Avon went to prison, that was the end of the Barksdale organization. The, uh, that, that, so that, that, that would be my, that would just be my response to that really quickly. Um, this scene is everything. This scene is everything, like everything. Um, uh, if homeboy, what was it? Man, you move on in season. I move on in season, really. What was, uh, what was my man who got his eye pulled out and tortured the air? What was his name? Right. Brandon. Yeah, yes. Okay. So if Brandon was the original sin of the Barksdale, Avon not getting that 20 years and not getting the bigger sentence is the next one. Um, because the lawyer says it right there. Oh, hold on, hold on. We, that's not. Oh, wait, 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 wait. For that. Okay. I'm this, just, this, is this is no, this is just a stringer. This is the stringer and Avon talking. This is not Avon. Uh, okay. All right. Set up for Roberto. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Yeah. So, um, man, I got excited. We move on to Nikki and Johnny. Yeah, oh, wait, we can say there is no Barksdale organization at this point. Yes, you should, yeah, there, yeah, there's no, there is none. There is none. Avon's behind bars, only his name is ringing out. We've already made the assessment that Stringer is looking to take over. Um, it's Barksdale by name, yeah, but, um, also, I mean, yeah, think about it, think about what makes an organization. What is it that they have that is that? That is anything that makes an organization. Well, they don't have anything right now. They don't have the muscle. They don't have the product. There you so go. Right, right now, they have nothing. They have then, even when they do get this, how does Stringer get it? I'm just talking to, like me and you. Like we're not giving away anything. But that's what I'm saying. My, I would argue the Barksdale organization ended. See episode twelve, Barksdale in jail. Yeah, I mean, hmm. Hmm. We'll come back to that. We'll, we'll come back. back. Yeah, we go back to that. Look, we got put a, you put a book, put a book, you can put a board, put a uh, bookmark we'll back there. To that. Yeah, yep. put a bookmark that point. Um Nikki and Johnny, Nikki, Johnny 50, and Ziggy uh come up. You have Nikki and Johnny discussing again. Johnny 50 is a guy with a with a the full beard. Um they discussing the lack of work. Um, they're discussing a lack of work, and then Ziggy comes up 
And then you have, yeah, then Ziggy comes up and doesn't have a conversation with him, but he's coming up to give, uh, to get a ride from, uh, to give uh, Nick, to give Nick a ride. You know, because Nick's car back in the scene when his, uh, Nick's car broke down on top of, on top of living in his parents' basement. He has, a, uh, he has a piece of shit car as well that broke down. So he needed Ziggy to give him a ride to work and uh, give him the ride to work and ended up giving, giving him a ride to the Greeks. So just, you know, quick, uh, Nick and Johnny just discussing the lack of work, which was, you know, again, something that we talked about over the course of this episode, even with the opening scene in terms of, you know, the unions, the Portman, the unions are, are basically dead, um, are dead. Did you want to add anything? Nope, they're just driving that point home, setting the table. Nick, Ziggy, Spiros, and the Greek. So Nick, uh, Nicky does now keep this in mind. Nicky did not want to take. He does, of course, he doesn't want to take Ziggy, but he kind of he kind of has no choice. He doesn't have any car. He doesn't have a car. Um, he drive. He, Ziggy drives him to the uh, to the Greeks. They have a little restaurant or a little little not not a restaurant, a little deli type you know deli type setup, quiet and uh, real. Real quiet and low key, which is reflect, which, which we'll come to find out is reflective of their, of their of their personalities and how they do business. Um, he warns he warns Ziggy even beforehand, you know, don't say anything, you know, let me do all the talking and what have you. But of course, you know, Ziggy can't help himself. He gets in there, cracking jokes, running his mouth. Um, Nikki checks him, tells him basically to shut the fuck up, and he let and he let him go a lot. He let him go a lot longer than I would have let him go. In terms of he kept talking, he really he kind of gave him some rope, gave him some uh, a cousin's rope before he told him to shut the fuck up. And then Z goes by the creek, and the creek the Greek immediately wants no part of even sitting next to him. The Greek moves his keys and moves his newspaper, and basically basically fuck you to Ziggy without saying anything, and um. You have uh, Nikki and Spiros uh, talking business along with Sir and Sergey was at the table as well. And you could tell Spiro, um, you could tell within the scene is that Nikki is respected by Spiros. That, that can, you can kind of tell that early in terms of uh, them when they were discussing business. What were your thoughts? Yeah, you're going a little bit further in there. Homie, um, there's no way you could tell all that in that scene. Um, the second thing is, I mean, like the juxtaposition is there, right? Like the juxtaposition is Nikki's an idiot, Nikki. Nick, Nick is the one that they talk, the one that they go through, the communication. I was being hard, I was being harsh and, and a little facetious. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, Nick is the one that that uh. Frank sends to go through with the with the Greeks. Um, the Greeks don't even know that Frank has a son. So that by definition tells you exactly how they see each one. Um, like I said, uh, uh, what's what's my friend? What's now I'm on the Nikki thing. Um, uh, Ziggy. Yeah, Ziggy. Ziggy is is insignificant to them. He, he means nothing to them. He means nothing to them. They don't even recognize him um, as anything. Uh, and so, so this, this again, Ziggy self-destructive. That's all you just keep seeing, Ziggy self-destructive. All of these moments, 
will mean something, but much later on. So we cannot go into it right now. No, no. Frank and BD, um, Frank and BD, you have, uh, we meet uh, BD Russell. She's a, a port police. She jokes with Frank and basically asked about stealing, basically saying, well, where you guys are stealing? Where are you guys going to steal today? Uh, then he jokes and said, I forgot what he said, but they, they basically go back and forth jokingly. And then uh, you see Frank, you know, talking about, talking to, uh, see Frank uh, conversate with Nick for a bit. Um, what were your initial thoughts about B.D. Russell? Yeah, it's not about B.D. I mean, like, she'll, 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 be, she'll be important, but I did notice something this time with, uh, with Nick and, right. and right. Frank, um, yeah. just just it's 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 wild, right? Like Frank Sabaka's his uncle. He's supposed to be protecting him, mm-hmm. and he's he's constantly putting him on the front line and constantly having him in there. That will tie into what's said at the very end of the season as well. But the, I've just been paying attention. Like both of the times, those two, their initial interaction with each other, the interaction now with each other is just like, it's like, man, that's your uncle. He's supposed to keep, he's supposed to be looking out for you. And he got you 10 toes deep in the dirt. Yeah. So again, like I said, break, you know, breaking Brad had a whole bunch of different, but, but, uh, oh, I was saying that just to, oh, I hadn't even put those two together. Cause I was saying that. No, yeah. Sabaka. Yeah. 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 yeah Sabaka. Yeah. Just, just another thing. It's just like, huh, you're saying you're doing X, Y, and Z. But what are you sacrificing in doing that? And I I noticed just in those interactions with him and Nick, I'm just like, uh, man, that's your uncle. He's supposed to be looking out for you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um yeah, Amy Ryan. Well clearly, I mean, we even even up to this point, we only went through barely through one episode. We clear it's clear that the relationship is stronger between Frank and Nick versus Frank. Yeah, it's not even, but even, forget about strong. Like that, he's supposed to be looking out for him. Yes. Think about how this ends up, right? Like he's supposed to be looking out for him. Is that what, uh, is that what he's doing? What he's doing right now is that looking out for Nick? No, so I'm gonna get back to you. So no, it's completely, it's completely, he's he's dead wrong, we know this. But, I would argue that Sabaka's probably looking out for his son by not involving him in any of this. I don't think he's in. Yeah. 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 Think about it. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can make. Yeah. You, yes. You can definitely make that case. But I, 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 mean, I mean, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And plus, he knows. I agree. Like, we're in agreement. Sabaka, of course, trucks. Um, Nick, of course, he trusts him. No, but you, he, no, he doesn't want, no, to your point, he doesn't want. And of course, he knows his son is right. an F up. No, he's probably, yeah, he's protecting his son from himself. But, so. exactly, but um, there have been many of sons throughout history who have been F ups and who have gone on to take their father, or their father have pushed, pushed him through. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh. and I think, I, I can glean that out a little bit more because I know how this season ends. Um, I know how this season ends as well. But that's why I said just in this, this scene, I'm just paying attention to the interactions between 
Nick Sabaka and Frank Sabaka and how Frank is supposed to be his uncle who cares about him. Yeah, but I, I think I think he does care about him, but I think that he, getting back to some conversations that we we said throughout the course of this these first 14 episodes, Frank is choosing institution over individual. Is that caring over your family? It's not the right type of caring. No, no, it's not. It's yes. I do that to my niece. No, it's I, not. I, like, like that's your blood. Yeah. No, it's fucked up. No, it is fucked. Right? Like, <laughs> like, uh, and that's why I say, like, literally, like when I saw that first interaction between him and Nick, and like it was like Nick came over to him and was just like, "Hey, I don't have you know, not work like regular talk." And then Frank's like, "Hey, hey come here, come here, come come here." Go see the Greek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah also come yeah. by at the very end when Horseface comes to him, but we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, uh, you have. Uh, there's, it's different between trust and then like me picking up my niece and being like, "Yo, I need that heron. Go get it for me." Like, yeah, like, no, like, no. like, like, like <laughs> yeah, the person I trust. Go get that heron. Like, no, that's not caring for somebody. No, you're right. No, you're right. No, that's not caring. Um. Frank, uh, no, we already got that. McNulty, Cole, and Landsman. So McNulty goes to the office. Um, he, uh, yeah, okay. So yeah, he fucks with Cole about the missing evidence. And then he has Landsman. Landsman fucks with him about being on the boat. Um, McNulty says, I'm not paying you that $10 because you told, you don't want to told uh, Ross that I didn't want to be there. And, um, Lasman, you know, basically, and Lasman's full of shit on it. Lasman says, "Well, I didn't know that he was that pissed off at you, which is complete bullshit. Like, come on, you knew, you knew what time it was when you told Ross where he didn't want to be at, where McNulty didn't want to be. Not, not to take any heat off McNulty because he deserves to be there." And Lasman says something. Says it's all about self-preservation. Uh, he says it's all about self-preservation, Jimmy. Something you never learn. So, what were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I mean that, that's pretty much pretty much as is. McNulty is not going to give him that ten dollars. Langsman is out ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so you have uh, Frank and Sergey. Um, they dump the can, and Sergey they dump the uh, Frank dumps the can for the Greeks to pick up, and Sergey. Does not pick up. Uh, does not pick up the can. What were your thoughts on Sergey not picking up the can? Up the oh, can. That's pretty self-explanatory. Oh well, well, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get. Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. All right, the scene that you've been waiting for: Stringer and Roberto. So, Roberto's lawyer. First of all, Stringer expected to see Roberto. And instead, he got Roberto's lawyer. Roberto's lawyer basically says he, felt he, he expected Roberto's lawyer, Roberto to also be there. No, he wanted yes, he yes, Roberto to be there as well. Yes, that's the whole point of the initial, the initial, and, and as you can tell, I just watched the episode today, so I have it all fresh in my mind. Because he says the first thing Roberto's lawyer says when he, ta- he he's like, and so now that I'm your, now that you're my client, so he put him, he put Stringer under his under attorney-client privilege so that they could talk. They could really, they could for real 
talk. And I also wanted to say, you thought Levy was, a, was, was get, come on now, Roberto, the Colombian. Like, I'm assuming, uh, I'm trying to think at that time, who was, I'm, I'm assuming it's Colombian because I think that's, that's who was popping in 2005. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, no, yeah. this dude, he, this dude, this dude. You know, that's ne- those turn, that's next level. He's no. literally like no. his consigliere. No, there's no question. Um, so he basically says that they're concerned about Stringer, not Stringer, about Avon getting a lighter sentence uh, versus what, and also Roberto is feeling the heat. Well, not feeling the heat. He's been, Roberto's locked up, and he had dealings with the. He got he got found out. Investigated by the DA. Yeah, he got investigated by the DA. He's locked up. So right now, Roberto. He he's fled the country. He's not locked up. He's just he's just gone. He disappeared. So he's uh invested. Yes, he's under he's under fire from the DEA. So he's he's going to, like you said he's going to lay low. Going underground. Yeah. He does not want any part. Of uh, of the Barstow organization because he really feel, he realizes he think that they think that they're radioactive and also the fact that getting back to the point earlier the twenty years versus the seven years so if Avon gets twenty years then this is a this is a totally different conversation versus the seven years he's got considering that Avon's a kingpin and, and the namesake of the other organization I have, I have a direct he, quote from the lawyer oh no he thought that the Avon the sentence was light now where you go. Before you go, Stringer, and this was to me one of the key parts of the, of the scene as well. Stringer, Stringer rebuffs that and basically says, I sent you all the documents from the case. So that's how. So he said, None of the people rolled, none of the, none of the everything had. Here, I'll break this down. Because, like you said, I've, I've been obsessing over this scene. So, um, so. Uh, Roberto's lawyer says, he goes, um, seeing, at, seeing the scope and scale of the Barstale organization, seven years seems like a lenient sentence. Mm-hmm. And Stringer says, he retorts, it sounds like you are saying, you're blaming us. Um, and what the lawyer, what the, what the lawyer, no, is it, Stringer says, it sounds like you're blaming us. He knows, Roberto knows, all of our people, none of our people rolled, none of them even came close or anything like that. I sent you the documents to show you that, the courtroom documents. So he sent him all the physical evidence. That's what Stringer's saying. I sent you all the physical evidence to prove it. And the lawyer goes, the lawyer's saying, yeah, now I'm paraphrasing. The lawyer's saying, yeah, you did, but that sentence is still way too light. It's <laughs> still way too light. Yeah, we hear that, but he, I mean, he says something like, you can, you understand how we can be nervous and we can't even take the risk that Barksdale's cooperating. We can't even take that risk. However, he says, however minor it is. Yes. Um, yeah. So anyways, this is the, like I said, like, or as I jumped, jumped the shark earlier, got excited. This is the whole show. This is everything. This is everything um, uh, in, in this season. Right, like this, this will lead not only to what happens in this season, but what happens in next season as well. Um, well, sorry, this will lead to what happens in next season, but this will be the drumbeat of this season um, because the whole point, as we know now, the reason why there was nothing in that car is because Roberto has pulled 
uh, product and distri giving distribution of product. As a matter of fact, they're sending the money back to them. Right. The money is on its uh, way back. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what that says is there's no product coming at all. Y'all, y'all are done. Zero. Zero. And so that sets off, uh, uh, that sets things in motion. Because, of course, you can't be a drug kingpin without drugs. You need drugs. So that's going to set everything in motion for what needs to happen in order to make that happen. Um, and... So that that's that's one. Like I said, if Brandon is the original sin um, of the Barksdale organization, which it absolutely is, um, then the second sin is how Avon how Avon played the how him going to jail, not going to jail, all that. By him not having more years on it, that signaled to Roberto that Avon could be cooperating, um, and then that's what then withdrew the entire connect. From New York, which New York is, I'm I'm assuming it's Colombian. If it's 2005, it has to be Colombian. Um, to to the to to Colombia, and once that is gone, then what is left of the Barcelona organization? I think that's where I'll that's that's how I frame it in my mind. What is left of the Barcelona organization becomes very, 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 very desperate. And by what's left, I mean Stringer, because everybody else, as we know, at the end. Stringer's on top. Mm, mm, no, he's not. But he will have to make moves to, to make things happen. But again, like, it's, it's, this, it's this thing, right? Like, it's like what you do in the moment feels right, but sets up your ultimate downfall. And that happens with a lot of different people. And that's, again, to bring it back to my man Ziggy, he exemplifies that. He's the... He's, the, he's our North Star of self-destructive behavior in this season um, because he's relentless with his. Everybody else masked theirs. Um, Bubbles masked, now I'm getting more overarching arching series. Bubbles masked his with, uh, with all the different, with working with the cops and with his, you know, his wise thoughts on things. McNulty masked his with his dedication to his job and women and blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, Stringer masked his Avon masked his with machismo and being this and Stringer Collier and da da da. They masked their self-destructive behavior. But all of these players sealed their fates with their actions that they did. They sealed their ultimate downfall, and you can pinpoint it at different moments. The Barksdale organization, Barksdale Stringer, <laughs> they they have a few moments. This, that was one of them. That was one of them. In order for Avon not to be in for 20 years, uh, to, for, for a longer sentence, they, they sealed their fate. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and again, you don't, by any stretch of imagination, uh, blame Roberto for making this move because he. We listen, don't know who is Roberto. Nobody cares. No, I mean, you don't know, but you don't. Yeah, 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 of course. Of course, they're criminals. They can't trust each other. They can't, yeah, no. <laughs> and again, so we, we talked about it. We discussed this last week. Seven years for a kingpin is, you know, that was a light sentence. Seven years. He only got versus D'Angelo. Versus D'Angelo's 20. Um, McNulty realizes that the body was uh, dropped in Baltimore City. He does extensive research with the coordinates and stuff like that. 
Uh, this is McNulty in full petty mode. McNulty's doing his own research with the coordinates and, and what have you, and does, and great, again, does realize it, that the body was dropped in, in Baltimore City. Originally, it was, originally they tried to say that they put it on a county. Of course, with, we know that it being with the city means that it's going to be dropped on Rawls and Landsman, uh, Rawls and Landsman. And McNulty faxes this information to the Baltimore County Police. Um, anything you want to add to that? No. Kima and Cheryl. Kima comes home. Um, Cheryl, of course, is happy to see her in one piece. Yeah, Kima, um, you know, discuss, you know, Kima complaining about the typing and what have you. Um, talking about her paper cuts. Um, we know she's not happy from the from the beginning of the episode. And um they are the, the key part of this is they are just, they end up discussing about the not adoption but uh having a baby. But Cheryl has all this information, all these books, how much it's gonna cost, and that that's 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 something you might want to uh put a bookmark next to or in terms of a major setup in regards to their relationship. Yeah, she's not she's not happy and we all know what happens when people aren't happy in relationships. Yeah. We'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rawls Lands uh Rawls and Landsman, Rawls realizes that McNulty sent the information and now the, the, the body has been put you know, has been put on them, put on them, uh, Baltimore from Baltimore City. And Rawls, you know, is semi-amused that the fact that, you know, that it was McNulty that did this and says, you know, he somewhat jokingly but he's pissed off, gives McNulty credit for uh, pulling this off. Um, thought that that kind of explained itself. Um, you have Bodie now in the towers. Um, Bodie, of course, basically worships, worships the ground stringer walks on. Um, now they're low in the towers in terms of the drugs and Bodie tells us, um, First of all, he gives a speech to one of the soldiers saying, you know, you always want to look the whale on motherfuckers instead of, you know, said uh, thinking things through. Um, kind of giving uh, D'Angelo some credit for, uh, that's kind of a call back to D'Angelo in the first season about using alternative means other than violence. Um, you see Bodie in a position of leadership and you basically see Bodie says, hey, if Stringer wants us down, then that's because we're down because Stringer wants us down. He says Stringer's on top of all this. So, you know, I, I think it lets you in on some insight on their relationship, how strong their relationship is. It also lets you in, it also gives you a sense of, of the pecking order. Like Bodie has no idea of the big picture of the, of what, of the, of the trouble that, it, that they're in. He's just doing what he's told. He's, all, he's putting all trust in Stringer. So from that standpoint, he's only going that far as far as he, you know, he's he's moved up the ranks, but not that far up the ranks to to, to know how much just how much trouble the Barksdale organization is in. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Bodie's Bodie's new new promotion? Bodie's yeah, a soldier. I mean, every like you said, everybody had to move up because so so many. Um, so many people are gone. Um, so everybody, everybody had to move up. I, I think the more interesting question for me is um, 
I think the more interesting question for me is like thinking about last season and just like watching Bodie, like Stringer treated him like dirt initially. Like, I don't even see you. And now Bodie's like there, but like, so I, I'm there. When I watch these next two seasons, I'm going to be paying real close attention to the Bodie Stringer relationship. Not because there's anything, um, big that I'll be able to grab from it, but I've never viewed it from the point of Dodie looks up to Stringer. Like, I almost think of him like a, as a puppy dog right now. Like, literally, like, Stringer would come around and Bodie's eyes would light up in season one. And, like, now he's like, Stringer is in control of everything. So it's all, Bodie had, Bodie's a soldier, so of course he doesn't, he's, he doesn't have information uh, that Stringer has, but he also view Stringer through rose-colored glasses. That's that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, Stringer can do no wrong in his mind. Um, I don't know how that plays out, because I've never viewed it that way, but I'll be really interested to see how that how that dynamic plays itself out. Yeah, anyways, but that that's just kind of like my, has been my takeaway these, these, these 13 episodes that we've been rewatching. I was like, huh, never noticed how much Bodie was like Stringer's lap dog the entire time. I never, ever, ever, ever noticed that. So um, that's it. Yeah. Um, so now we go into uh, B.D. Russell discovering the dead girls in the can. Um, remember, this is the can that the Greeks chose not to pick up. So when the Greeks didn't pick up this can, uh, Sabaka immediately, because remember, he was talking to Horseface saying that the reason why he was getting upset about them taking the can because it was a, uh, I think it was like, a, it would have been a customs violation for that can to be out there. It was unmarked. It was something like where it was unmarked or something. So immediately, so after um, Sergei drives away and doesn't pick up the can, you have the, you had the Greeks put the can back, back smash the can uh, in, a, in a what they thought was a safe place, but BD finds that can and uh, she discovers that, you know, that, that, that they have a number of dead girls in that can. So you, you think that the, that the Greeks, that not the Greeks, but you think that they already knew the girls were in that can. That's what you were trying to say earlier. Um, say that again. Do the Greeks already know the girls in the can? Did Sergey and them already know that those dead girls are in the can? Yes. Okay. That, it makes perfect, yeah. The call, the call that he got. I mean, like, we, yes, <laughs> without giving away too much. All things will be made very, very clear over the season, but you can see phone, Sergey's talking to somebody, then he gets into the car and goes away. We off. know the people who he's communicating with about this were at that table. So it's either Nick Sabaka, Frank Sabaka, or or um or the Greek who they who they're identifying as the Greek at that time. We know Frank Sabaka doesn't know it. He calls Nick and says, Nick, why is this truck still here? Nick's surprised. He's like, Nick, again, this is the uncle, like what? Dirty ugh, uncle move. Like, Nick, get on that, call them and figure out what's going on. Um, so the 
by process of elimination, without no, knowing this whole story, the only person you could be talking to on that phone is the Greek. And that is how the you see the police cars come up there, then you see uh, they let Prince Ibaka know that you know horse facing them, let them know something's wrong, and then you uh, then Ziggy, not Ziggy, but um, yeah, Nikki. Saying that they saying that there are um, some some dead girls in there, and that's how uh, the episode uh, wraps up um, with them looking uh, looking on, looking into that, looking into the can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Overall, I think that you know I was fine with this episode. I I understand why it was ranked last. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad episode uh, by any stretch of imagination. It like you know, when you, to your point, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you move, you know what I'm saying? You move, you move to another place, apartment, house, whatever. If you identify episodes worse than this episode, I will. There are plenty of episodes worse. Yeah, this is not, no, yeah, I will say that. This is, this is definitely not the worst episode. Like, and I, you know, having, yeah, this is not the worst episode. Um, uh, the why is fantastic. So, you know, what, what, are, what are we even saying? The worst episode of The Wire. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, um, yeah. So, well, I, I feel like they, this is not the worst episode. I feel like they had to, and they had to have an episode like this to where, if they were going in this direction, where they had to like basically almost. Real. There's no other way to do this. It's yeah, the was, first, it's the first episode of season two, and they're introducing an entire yeah, time. Yeah, they have, I mean, don't take the time to do it. That's why this wire is so good because they will take the time to do the stuff that's necessary in order to make a good season. Yes, no, that's what I'm saying. They're looking ahead. They're looking, they're looking at the overall product. They're not just looking for immediate results. They're looking at the overall, like the overall theme of the season as a whole. Um, so they're again, getting back to season one with, with the chess analogy. They're playing, they're playing chess with, uh, with this episode. And there's again, a lot of setup, lot of, you know, and we get introduced to a whole nother family, a whole nother set of characters. We had, a, uh, they had to sacrifice some episode, some, uh, not episode, they had to sacrifice some characters. We didn't see, we talked about barely seeing uh, Daniels and Kima and seeing and mm -hmm. some, of the, some of the major characters. Well, this episode, we didn't, there, were no, there was no Omar, no Bubbles, no Pearlman, no Burrell, um, no, uh, who else? No Carver. Uh, so there were a number of the regulars who were, no, uh, D'Angelo. So there were a number of the regulars that were missing from this episode. And they, to your point, they had to do it like this. They had, they had to set up this episode and run this episode the way they did. So overall, again, I had zero problem with this episode. And you saw, you see the, um, Getting, getting back to the point of ebb tide, the definition of ebb tide, you see the state of decline throughout the with the characters and throughout the uh, institution of not institution, but the the shoremen and, and the whole that 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 idea of the shipyards and what and, and, uh, and the ships and what have you. Um, Chardin Award and MVP. I had for the Chardin Award for the best performance. I had Valchek. That Valchek for the best performance. Um, my MVP, and it was this was a tough one uh, to be honest with you, but I had to go with McNulty for MVP. <laughs> go ahead, explain that. <laughs> well, yeah, it. So I reluctantly chose McNulty because he did 
find the girl. He's not found the girls, but he did. Um, the girl was thrown in the water, sir. The girl was thrown in the water, but he did find. He did identify that the girls had that the girl body was over the city in terms of the county. That's fair. And and which will I guess I'm looking I guess I'm looking ahead to what that will do, for further for for the overall, um for the overall season. But it was very hard to find the MVP in this episode. I'll be honest with you, it was very hard because um, I almost chose. I mean, I was very hard pressed to find a, a MVP. A MVP to be honest with you. Uh MVP is uh. I'm sorry, I got some popcorn stuck in my throat. MVP is um is uh because I'm thinking of them both. Chardine stamp Valcheck. MVP is did you say Valcheck for Chardine? Yes. No, yes. you said sorry. MVP is is uh is Valcheck. My MVP is Valcheck. And then the the um Chardine is Sabaka. That's what I was trying to do. Okay. Okay. I mean that's fair. Which which Sabaka? Frank or which Frank, one? Frank. Frank. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I I could definitely yeah, I have no no problem with that. Um his performance was strong and his acting performance was strong throughout the course of the season. He was tremendous in the season. Um yeah, I just saw Valchek's performance, man. Valchek Valchek is a guy and you you mentioned it, that character there is definitely one of the top five underrated characters in the history of the show. His he I'm gonna push that around. Sorry. Valchek should be Chardine. Right. And Sabaka MVP. It's MVP. That's so why you why was Sabaka MVP? I mean, Sabaka carried a lot of the heavy weight of this episode. Um, you know, like what what I will say is if whoever wrote that article, if their high measure or like the thing that they they value most was always like super strong acting performances. This episode didn't have a lot of them because, like I said, they were setting the table for different things. So this this wasn't about carrying like the emotional heft of a scene or anything like that, because the stakes haven't been set at all yet. So um, so if if that was that person's indicator, then I get it. Then I get it. Then I get it. Then you're not going to find dynamic performances in this episode because that's not what this episode is meant to do. Um, but the heavy lifting, Frank carried the heavy lifting. He introduce the themes of what is going on and what will be going on throughout the season and then he also um kind of uh uh, uh like I, like his intro into the the universe and how everything will begin to orbit around him is centered on this performance here in this episode right and so like like that scene where him and the father are he comes in kneels with the father, talks with him about the thing, like, this is why, blah, blah, blah. And then father asks him, you know, hey, Sabaka, when's the next, last time you've been in? And he just kind of gives him that look, like, glad, like, like, not. And, and they're back and forth. So you have that back and forth with him and the father. You have him and Nick. And like I said, um, the way he approached that in the intro scene between, between them was very fascinating to me. Him and Zig, him, like, Sabaka was did the heavy lifting in this episode for a show. If even even though I I argued last season, it 
it became a true ensemble show by the end of the season, and I still 100% support that statement. But I could see how you would come into this season and be like, this is uh, McNulty's show, or this is um, Idris Elba's show, or Wood Harris's show. Like, like they, they get the more, most camera time. To come in and be able to dominate as he did MVP without those supporting characters. Yeah, yeah, no problem with that. Um, one last question. Um, did you get into getting back to Stringer? Did any part of you feel like Stringer sabotaged that that drug thing in terms no. of okay? All right. Uh-uh. Okay. All right. The I the 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 big here's the the big part of it is um Hey, just uh, all you have to do is the is the that's giving Stringer too much credit. The that Colombians is. have way more power than any any Barksdale anything ever in life. They well, like that's not even a that's not even a conversation. And the way you know is because they're getting the product from them. Um, so the 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 case that this this season will will make as well is who's in control of the product and who's actually bringing the product here. Yeah, we got the drug dealers slinging it on the corners, but who's bringing a massive amount inside? That's not the Barksdale's. That's not even close to the bark. They can't even get stuff that's not stepped on all over at this point in time. Um, so, no, Stringer has no play and no pull with Roberto at all, like not even a little bit. Um, but the lawyer lays it out really clearly in that scene. That's why that scene is everything. He lays it all out and very, very clearly and very confidently to Stringer why this is happening. Um, and even if you want to even break it down, like how you know is Avon in that conversation with Stringer, Avon is like, play it. Like, like he's not going, he doesn't say like go in there, you know, wild out, go get the goons and rough Roberto up and get our stuff. He's like, play it cool, but play it firm. <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, Avon no. Avon knows. Yeah, Avon no, knows. No, no. They both know. Everybody knows. This is the, this is their life. This is their game. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. I mean, we all know. Check your TVs. We know the Colombians. We know what 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 that is about. Like that. That's not so. Anyways, no. To your answer, no. Uh-uh. I think what the initial scene, like, because even I, when I was watching it today, I keep getting confused by it because I'm like, is this stringer setting it up? So I get it from that point. I think if that had happened to Avon, Avon handles that situation a little bit differently in terms of how he deals with the people and everything like that. I think this is setting up Stringer to be a more calculating person where he has them followed and watched and make sure we know every single person's move and he confronts them with numbers to see if they lie just, just, just as a checking point. Like, I think that's setting up later stuff with the rest of his team. But in terms of this situation, uh-uh. They thought the drugs were there, and the drugs were not there. So that is episode one, uh, Ebb Tide for season two. Um, season two? Yeah, it's going to be uh, – Hey, Ziggy's my MVP for the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy. Ziggy's going to have – I'm sure Ziggy, Ziggy will have an MVP episode. I'm sure he's going to have one. I'm yeah, sure gonna, have one. I know it's one. He's going he's gonna to have an MVP episode. Without um, as always, thanks to Robert Seth for joining the program. We will see.
We'll see you next time. Again, Stay healthy out there. Yes, please, please. These, these cases are going up and fast and furious. Please listen to the doctors, listen to the health experts, listen to Dr. Fauci, because uh, <laughs> uh, it's not a, it is not a game out here without question. Uh, be safe, be healthy, and um, we'll see you next week. Thank you, sir. Let's go wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, Why Remix. I will have this podcast posted up before the end of the night. I will see you later on this week with a podcast. I'm out.